one thing we're going to talk about a lot today is right tool, right time. We're not against surveys in the right context. I think there's there's a large temptation to just grab things that are easy to grab. And a survey is often like one of the easiest things you can do. Hey, I, I got everyone telling me different things. Sales is telling me this thing. I got customer support telling me that. I have my internal team. It's like, well, how, how do I how do I filter through that? I have my own take, but oh, I know. Voice of the customer, right? Heard that before. Let's just have the customers tell us. Let's just go ask them. And yeah. I think there's this temptation to just reach for a survey, send this out, and we'll get our magic answer. Welcome to Exploring Product, where we go behind the scenes on what it really takes to bring new products to market. Too often, people focus just on the success stories. Our aim is to flip the script. We try to unpack what product teams actually go through when trying to bring new products to market. I'm Ryan Hatch. And I'm Rob Kaminsky. Every day, we're trying to build products that our customers love. And we know just how messy and difficult product work can be. We don't have it all figured out, and we're okay with that. Join us on our journey as we explore the world of creating new products. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Exploring Products. Ryan, we are getting to the end of the year. It's December. We're on our 12th Exploring Product podcast episode. Uh, and today we're talking about surveys. How are you doing? That's right. Well, I can't believe it's already been a year. 12th episode of Exploring Product. One of our goals was to do one every month. And, and we're here. I can't believe it's been a year already. Uh, have We've had some great guests on um, and we'll continue to do though to do so. We're we're excited for this. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. December, and today we're talking about surveys. Why are we talking about surveys, Rob? It's a good question. I think we got onto surveys. There's a couple things that came to mind here. Uh, we get questions on surveys all the time, uh, and sometimes people actually bring us surveys. And I know you're going to tell us a story about that as well. Um, people are using surveys uh, to understand their customers. They're using them in product environments. And so we get asked, how should I structure my survey? Well, my survey told me this. And so we felt it was a good opportunity to chat through some of the implications of using surveys. Uh, you can tell by the title uh, that we use, you can almost get a sense of our opinion. Don't trust your survey. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's some caution coming in this topic for sure. Um, and you know, in addition to getting questions all the time, we see what happens when surveys get misused in really the, I think a lot in the, the startup world, but especially when launching new products, wouldn't you say, Ryan? One thing we're gonna talk about a lot today is right tool, right time. And one theme that you'll hear us talk about is while we're not against surveys in the right context, I think there's, there's a large temptation to just um, grab things that are easy to grab, right? You grab things that are, that are right in front of you. And a survey is often like yeah. one of the easiest things you can do. Hey, I, I got everyone telling me different things. Sales is telling me this thing. I got customer support telling me that. I have my internal team. It's like, well, how, how, do, I, how do I filter through that? And I have my own take, but oh, I know. Voice of the customer, right? Heard that before. Let's just have the customers tell us. Let's just go ask them. And yeah. I think there's this temptation to just reach for a survey, you know, whatever platform survey monkey comes to mind right or just send this out and we'll get our magic answer and i think what yeah i was gonna say when you taught when you lay out that scenario the intent is good right 
Mm-hmm. Go to the customer, voice of the customer, right? We're gonna, we need to learn from them to make some of our decisions. And so nothing you said there was bad, except surveys, we talk about them being almost too easy, which is what you hit on, is, is are you getting the right information from the customer in the right way to make that decision? I think that's something that's, that's kind of often missed uh, because you're doing it digitally, right? A survey is you're kind of going from a human thing into something that becomes uh, quantitative and to some extent binary. And yeah. I think there's a, there's a real risk of missing the why behind customers' behavior. Uh, and I know we're going to open that and unpack that a bit today. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like abstractly what you're doing is you're abstracting the market out into some kind of data structure. And then it's like yeah. you data structure customer, and you're putting this thing in between you and the people that, that you really care about. I mean, the intent the intent is good, but oftentimes we see that it's the wrong tool for the job. It's the wrong thing to grab for. And yeah. even though it might be easy to do, um, it, it, it might be like, Hey, what I really need to do, I really have a gut. Maybe you already have like, I have a gut feel for what I need, we need to do. I just need evidence to back it up. Right. I just need, I just want to put a big slide on the, on the, you know, to, to prove to mm. my CEO or, or whatever that, Hey, that we should do this. See, and it's just like just evidence building and yeah, maybe it's the right tool for that job. If you already made up your mind on what you're going to do, you just want some, just yeah, CYA, to, right. But something to if, push forward your agenda. <laughs> yeah. Right. Then, then maybe it makes, then maybe it makes sense. But a lot of times if you're actually, if you actually have trade-offs to make, if you're actually trying to figure out what do we go do, what do we go prioritize, and, and where should we play in the market, or, or yeah. any of those questions, um, it's often the wrong tool for the job. And, and what we don't want to have happen is one thing, Rob, we talk about a lot in Inside Headway is um, bad data is worse than no data at all. Right, because bad data is going to give you this false sense of confidence, this false security that I'm headed in the right direction, but really you're walking on really thin ice. And it looks like there's there's a safe place to walk there, but but really, uh, surveys can often lead you in the wrong direction. Um, yep, we've we've seen that play out. Maybe we 100%. want to talk through some of those. We do. At first, I want to I want to actually I want to scare some people a little bit. <laughs> with some of these horror stories. So there's two that came to mind as we were kind of putting this together um, for how we think about surveys and really these stories that stood out to us that impact the way of when we use them, if we use them. And one of the tools we actually use, there's a a great video by David James who goes uh, deep into, really it's about research in general, um, but he gets into methods versus methodologies and ontologies and how they all fit together. we use this in our onboarding process, Ryan, when we bring on uh, new folks to understand uh, kind of the differences in approach to research and, and how that all fits in. It, there's a ton of nuance to it, but this example of David James at the highest level, he brings up a great example of two research approaches. Same exact research question. There's these two researchers, I believe it was at a university, I'm forgetting the exact context of the study. Uh, one of the researchers went and dove into surveys, right? They went right into this quant approach to how they were going to get kind of feelings and sediment. I think it was within like working cultures or students working in, a, in coursework with their teachers and how they interact and learn. Uh, so they went to surveys, like how much are they learning? How fast is the course going and all those things. And a separate researcher with the same question immersed themselves in kind of 
the habitat of their, their research study. They went and spent time in the classroom, they interacted with students and the teachers, uh, and it was more of a qualitative approach. And what, what uh, David James went on to show was the two completely different conclusions that were reached at the end of these studies, simply based on the methods that they used, one being surveys and one being this qualitative approach. Uh, and, and it's kind of mind blowing because what we're talking about, the analogy to that for us is we're trying to make good product decisions. And if the research question's the same and the, the methods and methodology you're using are clearly unique and different, surveys being one of those, it could take you down a terrible path. So you say no data, bad data, bad data is terrible because you're, you're further along the path and you've already kind of bitten on that. Uh, and so that's a big one that kind of hit home for us and how we teach against that is to make sure you know what you're learning against, what you're trying to understand. And the why when it comes to human behavior ends up being one of the more important aspects uh, beyond just the what. And we'll get into that a little bit more uh, when we break out surveys. Yeah. I mean, the one thing you're talking about really is we believe that anytime as a, as a, as a CEO of an existing company, as a product CPO, a product person, or uh, an idea stage founder, anytime you're, you're, you're running product, you're trying to figure out, well, what do I, what do I bring to market? And we, we talk about Robert that like any really product strategy, product management is all about asking a series of questions. And, and like every day you're just answering a different question. The question changes. Right. Um, and so the question is, the question is, what's the research question today? You know, what do you, what question are you trying to answer today? And let that be the focus. But to Robert's point, yeah. you know, how are you going to go answer that question? Uh, there's many, many ways to go answer that question. And then, which brings you to this, in this David James example, which is like, how, what do you think? What do you believe? It's, it's actually a belief system. What do you believe um, the, the, the right approach is to get to reliable data, right? Reliable customer insights, reliable market yeah. insights. And, you know, so just because you have the right research question, the, that's the first thing is, are you asking the right question, right? That's, that's the very first thing. Um, and the second thing is how you go about answering that question and your paradigm, which is the stuff we're talking about now with this David James video, he kind of talks about the paradigm and how what you believe reliable how evidence, you know, how can be gathered. Um, it changes your, your research approach. And we've just seen that, you know, the, the surveys can lead you down a totally different conclusion than like living with these master's degree students, you know, to see, you know, how their experience is. living with this other person, I think lived with them for like, you know, went, went to class with them, went to lunch with them, hung out with them like for 30 days to really immerse in that experience. And yeah. what, what, you know, it's a totally different conclusion to the same question. And it, well, how could that be? How could you end up with two completely different conclusions and understandings when you're asking the same question? Shouldn't the same question lead you to one answer, right? Truth. Well, no, <laughs> um, yeah. actually like you're the, the key thing to realize here is that reality exists. Like those students, those master's degree students on campus exist, but how we sample for that, how we, how we collect and how we gather insights really matters. It's going to change your conclusions entirely, right? Which, yeah. which you call into question, like, gee, am I learning it? Am I, am I making my, am I, is my, are my insights correct, right? Yeah. When you talk about that, it makes me think, like, how close are you to the epicenter of your research question? And I think that's something where surveys seem so easy to do. 
but in, in a lot of times they're so far from the core of what's happening and what you're trying to answer. And so you're replacing speed and efficiency for understanding and effectiveness, right? I, I think kind of like speed versus velocity. Yeah, you might go fast, but for all you know, you just ran in a big circle and you're in the same spot. Whereas you know, picking the right tool could move you along the path in terms of a velocity to actually get you somewhere where you're trying to go. Um, and yeah. so we're going to talk about this a little bit and how we unpack like what's good and what's bad about a survey and like why this happens. Before we do that, Ryan, I know you have a great experience around, uh, you know, a project we worked on where, you know, surveys were a big part of kind of the initial impetus for taking a certain yeah. direction. And so maybe you could share uh, as much as you can on yeah. uh, what that looked like and, and why they ran into those challenges. Yeah, what we're trying to do here is is kind of compel you to rethink maybe I shouldn't actually trust the data I'm getting back, right? And that's what we're kind of showing with this first example is same research question. One's actually living in the market. One's doing a survey, totally different answers, which would lead you in completely different product directions, right? Um, whereas we talk about no data, when you have no data, it actually, it makes you question yourself. And I think we should be kind of continuously questioning, you know, where we're, where we're getting our insights from and how we're coming to conclusions. The other story that Robert, we're, we're, we're talking about here is like, I'll tell you an example of when, when you blindly follow a survey, the, the catastrophe that can kind of ensue from that when you're, when you're just taking it for what it is. So um, we've seen, you know, product people, we've seen entrepreneurs um, come you know, to us with, with surveys, they already done it. They've already done it before they came to us. Hey, you know, we had this idea. And so we did, uh, we did a, we did a hired a marketing firm and we spent, you know, 50 grand doing a, a market research survey. Okay, great. Well, it turned out to be like a, uh, in this case, it was a phone survey. Well, it doesn't matter, right? Phone survey or, or, or not. And they're collecting all this data and sampling the market and coming back and asking these questions, you know, Yes, right. And it's a survey over the phone, right? So like, yes, no, this category, this category, you know, more satisfied, less satisfied, whatever buckets that are being presented in this thing. Um, and the, the, the core conclusion that came out of this, because the, the founder was really asking themselves, you know, should we head this direction with the product or this direction with the product, right? Like there's multiple directions we could go. Well, what does the market say? So phone survey comes back with this conclusion that, oh, people really want B and not, and not A, and uh, <laughs> uh, I won't get into the specifics, but this, this conclusion, um, basically, you know, and, and the, 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 I think the, the tempting thing about this also is like, wow, it's going to be statistically significant, right? Like, wow, you know, yeah. with a, and, you know, P error of whatever, and, we're going to have uh, really confidence that they really want the product, you know, B or feature B. That's really what resonated with the market on this survey. And then what happened was went to the investors, raised money on this story and narrative that they already knew what the market wanted, went out, raised the money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, built the thing, had, you know, ran ads all over the place. No one signed up, right? Nobody. And it's like, Man, okay, well, gee, but the marketing firm told me that I'd have like forty thousand customers by the end of the year. Like, what? What gives, right. right? And then, and then it's like, well, 
maybe we just need to, we need, we need to fix the, the marketing side of it. You know, the, the problem isn't the product, the survey's right. Literally it's like, Hey, let's, let's reframe the marketing. Let's, let's add more pizzazz. Maybe we'll do a video. Maybe we just need to, to, to communicate the offer better. Um, and going through and doing all of that, not to mention like, you know, licensing, building product side of it. And there's this huge, the point is, the phone survey led to this huge long investment uh, circle, product investments, re, you know, uh, marketing changes, all these things to come back and, and it still didn't work. And it yeah. was all based on this false premise that, wow, like the, the, the market really wanted product B and not A. And that's the, the, the question that this product person was struggling with. And yeah. so we, we think it's really, really dangerous to, to just – think you're sampling the market, think that statistical significance means that this, you can predict what the market's going to actually do and, and, and predict right. behavior and build your so whole company and strategy on that. Let, well. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, we're basically coming from the premise that their surveys are, they're ineffective, right? And they can be effective and we'll, we'll share some areas where, where they might work. When you tell that story and I think of effectiveness, I, it almost, it reiterates the the fact to me that surveys they do an okay job of capturing desire, uh, but not a good job at all of capturing behavior and what actions will actually uh, happen beyond that. And that's kind of what come out came out in your story. And I think in that piece, to me, I'm gonna jump ahead, but like it's the saying "doing gap," right? Like think of any. I don't really take that many surveys. But when I do, a lot of times I'm, I'm almost like portraying this ideal self of like, yeah, the best version of me would pick this or like, oh, I know I should do that. Or, oh, they, they're asking me this question because of this. So I'm going to answer it in a certain way um, that they expect me to answer. And sure, you can learn some things about me, maybe from reading my responses. But then when you put me in that situation, that should do or I would like that goes out the door versus what I actually do. And I think that's you know one of the key things for me with surveys that I tend to steer clear of them is for that purpose is I care more about what someone's actually going to do than what they say they're going to do. And that's why there's such a science to customer research when you're sitting in front of someone to really filter through what do they actually mean versus what are the words that are coming out of their mouth. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many reasons why putting an abstraction layer, this data layer abstraction between between you yeah. and the actual customer, why there's so many reasons why that doesn't work. Like there's, there, you're trying to put this translation translation layer in between. Well, you've yeah. got to actually like design the questions in a way, well, they don't understand it. They, you know, they understand it differently than what you're intending, right? And so there's yeah. this, there's this uh, impedance mismatch. There's also like the say do gaps that you're talking about where you know, would you do this? Would you questions? Uh, you know, behavior is real, right? We talk quite often, Rob, we talk in our, in our, you know, in, internally and in, in, with clients, we talk about, you know, but new year's is coming up. I got to, you know, this is the year I get fit. Like this is, this is the year I, I get healthy. I got a treadmill. I'm going to get up every day at five 30. It's like, this is the year I do it. Right. I mean, I get my yeah. 20 year old self back. <laughs> And then, you know, and then it comes March and the treadmill's sitting there and it's got a laundry basket on it. There's, you know, it becomes just a piece of furniture in the, in the basement or, or whatever. Yeah. And that, that's, that's so true. Like just because we have these hopes and these expectations and these, these, you know, would be wishes for ourselves and our ideal self, it's very different than what people actually do in their real, real everyday life. Right. 
Um, so there's a big say do gap. Another, another one is like humans aren't computers. And I think like we try to say, oh, if I could just get the, if I could, if I could convert people into data, then I could just, you know, look at the data in an Excel sheet. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that would be great. It's just not real. Right. It's just like this really false belief system that you can actually yeah. turn people into data. It's that's not true. Right. If I ask you, you know, Robert, we did this, you know, the other day, too. It's like, Robert, what did you have for lunch yesterday? OK, you could tell me what you have for lunch two days ago. You struggled to remember what you have for lunch five days ago. I have no clue. What did you have yeah. for lunch 20 days ago? Are you out of your mind? No one knows this stuff. Right. And it's so true. It's like, so if I ask you a question, well, hey, um, what do you usually have for lunch? If you can't remember what you had for lunch three days ago, right? Yeah. We, we think that we can, we can just have people do an Excel formula, you know, sum this, minimize, you know, what do you, what's, what do you do on average? You know, people are and doing the moment the subject the is guessing is the moment you get into bad data territory. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of these surveys too. There isn't this, I don't know, or I don't have the best answer. So like, please ignore. It's like, no, they're going to plug in an answer. They're going to say pizza. Cause that's what they had Wednesday. And then you're going to like go through all the data and say, Oh, look, there's, there's Ryan. Oh, he likes pizza for lunch. And he does these other things when it's like, Nope, you're already, you already created this false context to make decisions from. And you can see how that could multiply and get just worse and worse uh, as you go through that. I think like I, I use the example a lot when I'm working with clients around you. There's a profile you could put around me with a survey that I am ripe to buy an electric car, specifically a Tesla. And would I? Sure. But if you put the offer in front of me, like I don't have one sitting in my garage. And but if you ask me questions about like even just my profile a little bit, like Am I, am I mindful about the environment? Do, am I interested in technology? Do I like electric cars? All those things. I probably fit that profile, but my behavior doesn't align with what part of my like demographic or uh, my psychographic even wants or can do in there, right? Like there's things that you can't discover on a survey that would help you piece that together. Um, yeah. Ryan, I know you've done some work on surveys um, in ways that can be effective and this isn't meant to be a deep dive course, but take us through some of these things that in our kind of prep session for this, you brought up is like, if we're actually gonna make a survey work well, these are the things we need to consider. There's a lot here. Um, maybe you could intro these and just to me what this highlights is like the complexity of actually running a really solid survey study, but yeah. walk us through this and what you think this means for those. Yeah. Surveys. What, I, what I want to convey in, in this, and we'll walk through this just to blow your mind a little bit on the absolute complexity and deep dive to do a, to do a survey super, super well. It's really difficult. It's super time intensive. There's tons of ways to screw it up. And it's just easier to talk to customers. Like we're going to keep coming back to that. You think survey is easy, but no way, right? We talk about question biases and we talk about like turning um, people into data. You know, how you ask those questions matters 100%, right? Like to do a non-leading question is very difficult, especially when you're sequencing questions one after the other, right? If you ask this first, well, it actually like makes them more reflective, like, but they're not actually normally reflective 
in their daily life, right? So you're bringing them to like a new, you're changing their mental state as you're having them walk through these questions. Um, I think also like you trying to match people up into, into categories, right? So the, the, the question biases is like, well, which of these five, four categories do you fit in? Uh, well, none to tell you the truth, but I guess you're, you're going to ask me to fit into one of them. So we're, try, we're trying yeah. to actually, instead of trying to learn from the market, what we're trying to do is actually push our mental model onto the market and box people in. And that really doesn't work. And if you want to learn, that's not a good way to learn by boxing people into drawing, drawing you know, the, the lines artificially. And so people right. are kind of, they have to ask themselves, well, what are you really asking me? What are they, what are they trying to ask? And there, there's multiple interpretations of these things. And um, we talk about like what, what you think is, t- is, is a number 10 versus number three is different than what someone else is going to answer for three and 10. And, oh, you're going to compare those completely equally. And there, there, there's so much complexity in just the question framing, the sequencing, all of that, just in, just in that alone. And then what we actually have to do, and that takes a lot of effort to frame that stuff right, because you only get one shot, right? I'm not I'm just going to go do another survey. Like I have to, I have to ask like all the questions I ever wanted to know. Well, I, I better, right? And it's because there's a lot of yeah. upfront work actually to design this thing. Then you have like usability testing. So not many people do this, but this is the right way to do it because we know there's this impedance mismatch between what we think the market would, would answer and how they interpret it. Because we're, we're turning them, we're turning people into data. Um, what you actually have to do then is you have to go do usability testing, just like we would do in software, Rob, where we'd actually sit someone down and do an observational study and have them talk aloud as they're taking the as they're taking the survey. And you know, why'd you answer this and not this? You know, what you know, and have them actually talk. Well, the, you know, and then, then they would say like. I don't actually fit into those categories. You should add a fifth one. Oh, tell me more about that. And you realize that actually your questions are framed wrong. They're, they're, they're phrased wrong. The options are incorrect. Like if you don't do usability testing, the data has gone out the window. Sampling versus population, like how you sample, because you can't ask everybody in the market to answer this thing. So you have yeah. to you have to do a sample. Well, now you have to do a representative sample. And how do I am I doing random sampling? Am I doing am I intentionally skewing the market towards one or another? Which we have done on purpose. And actually we've done this on purpose as well, because we want to understand, well, what is high NPS people, how do they think differently than low NPS? And to do that, you have to have this contextual, you know, understanding. You have to match your your user database up to this thing. Like it, it gets really complex, right? Yeah. Assertion testing. So assertion testing is when the data comes back, you have to know which answers to throw out. A lot of times, you're paying people to take surveys. Some people actually just take it for the money and like they're taking it for the wrong reasons. And you know, we call them speeders, right? Like they'll just take, they'll just answer. A, 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 or whatever it is just to get through it. And, oh, I got, you know, 30 bucks at Starbucks, right? So, like, you have to filter them out. And then we actually have to take different questions that we know are being asked in different ways, but we know it should be consistent. Like, if they answer this here and this here, that makes sense. But they shouldn't answer this and and that, right? So, we actually build this, like, assertion testing or unit testing algorithm. So, we actually, like, throw people out who Make fail sure this no consistency one's checking test. out halfway through, which I know yeah. I've been guilty of, is, like, I do the first 10 and I realize there's 40. And then it's, like, okay, all that astute focus on actually trying to give a, an opinion back that <laughs> goes out the window. Yeah, you get survey fatigue too, right? So like yeah. you might answer it 100% the first 10 questions, and then question, you know, 35, 40, you're like, I- I'm ready to be done with this thing, right? Yeah. So like 
There's so many reasons. You have to rake it, which means you have to fit the sample, the population. Pre-analysis, we do a whole bunch of weighting and, and scoring and segmentation stuff so we can like segment, so we can set it up for analysis. And then, you're, then you spend all this time in Tableau, right? Like there's so just Ryan, so is many. It, is any of this worth it? Like I see this list and the, the nuance that it takes to actually execute it. And to me, we talked about earlier, like surveys are for speed, but I see time, right? I see actually like the opposite yes. of speed in working through these things to make it effective. If you're not fair? willing is this to, worth it? Like, what would it's you... totally true. It's totally true. I mean, you have to, there are instances when this is the right thing to do when you're making like really, really big decisions, when you're making really big decisions. And, but you also, one thing we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit, you can't do this survey first. There is no way you can design this without first being intimate with your customer. There's, there's no way yeah. this thing will totally fail and be worthless. And, but you're right. This is, you think a survey is easy. I'll just reach for that. But then you look at this and you're like, that sounds like a ton of work to do right. right. And it is a ton of work. And you know what? It's not just you, the product, product manager, the product person doing this. Mm -mm. Right? You got to get your data guy in. He's got to, you got to export all the current customers and match it up with this. You got to do assertion testing. You got to do waiting. And there's a whole bunch of like data flows you have to do to actually get out like quality data. Yeah. And you know, when I've done this with companies, it's like, do you really need my data architect, my engineer to pull all this and that? Yeah, I do. If you want the real answers, right? So it's not just you, yeah. it's multi-resourced. It's a huge investment to do this, to do this. So Ryan, we did have a question come in from LinkedIn. Uh, I think it's an interesting one on what we're talking about. Um, so the question we had, there was actually a comment and a question with it. So it, Per our discussion, it seems that you've been hitting on Christian, uh, Christian's innovator's dilemma, the delta between a company's vision and what customers are asking for. And then they go on to ask, uh, how does usage of features within a product play a role when considering survey results? Uh, they assume that usage reigns supreme, but curious of our opinions on this. And so I definitely have a thought here. You wanna, you wanna take the first stab at this one, right? I mean, sure. Um... Yeah, we're, we're talking about a lot of like Clay Christensen stuff we were already talking about earlier when we talked about the research question, right? Because Clay Christensen yeah. talks so much about the, the, the question is the place in the mind where an answer can live. And so the, that, that's one of the things we want to communicate here is that really, are we asking the right question? And then, hey, what are the different ways you can go, you can go solve that? You can go answer that, right? Survey is one of those ways. And we're trying to say like, it's often the wrong way. Um, to get that. Now, as far as you're asking here, hey, how does the usage of features within a product play when considering survey results? Um, we always would think, we'd always say that like behavior, like actions over speak louder than words. And so we would go to something like if you have an existing product and you have people flowing through it, and you're trying to understand product usage. Um, I'd start with the data itself, right? We'd start with mixed panel, start with actual behavioral events that are flowing through the product. What are people actually doing? Where are they, you know, how far are they getting? Are they getting stuck at a certain point? Well, people are getting stuck here. Okay, that's interesting. That becomes yeah. a research question, which is like, why are people getting stuck here, right? And then we can go, then you already know who those people are. You can do an export out of mixed panel or whatever and figure out, I should go talk to those users. I only probably need to talk to five yeah. to figure out what the pattern is, right? So you can learn that stuff, I think, really, really quick. And I would, I would yeah. suggest that over 
What are your thoughts, Robert? My, my interpretation is very similar. I think it's a great question. And I, I think where they lean is where they say usage reigns supreme, I think is pretty spot on. The, the way I think about it is going back to like, I mean, you talk about behavior. Usage is closer to behavior, but there's still that digital filter beyond it. And so why are we even looking at usage? To me, it's to inform decision-making that we can we can make. And so when I think about pairing survey and usage data, to me, it's usage first, what's actually happening? But there's going to be gaps. You're not tracking everything in your in your product, your experiences, your activation and acquisition channels. And so where there's gaps, to me, there's there's two routes. Go talk to people who who you think have those gaps, but there still might not be an ability to get to them. Right. They may be part of the flow. You don't really know what's happening or what's breaking. To me, that's where you could insert a survey with a specific purpose to fill that data gap where you have you have some behavioral information of usage but you don't really know what's happening in there. You could ask questions like in that path. And I'm thinking a little bit more in terms of like app usage or experience flow. And then when you fill that, you're almost like lead generating conversations you should be having, right? I think ultimately you need to go understand the why, but you could probably uncover some of the nuances associated to that behavior. And so if I were to summarize, it's really using usage data as a place to find opportunities to narrow a survey to make it really apply in a way that's super targeted but in order to inform your ability to get in front of those customers and really learn and understand kind of beyond that that's how i think about maybe applying those um, with data together it's a great question thank you for that one chris yeah, good stuff. And we'll, 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 we'll touch more on like some of the contextual survey stuff that Robert, I think you're, you're talking about as well a little later. Yeah. And so this next piece here, you know, we started talking through, you know, some of the other pitfalls of, of surveys and, you know, we talked a lot about behavior surveys are not behavior. The, the other issue is they're a snapshot. You know, we have it here as they're a blip, right? You know, companies do this for MPS both internally and with their customers. And it's so, it's only a one-time thing, or maybe you do it every month or quarter. It's still not often enough to really grab a picture of what's happening, which is really, really concerning to us, knowing that we as humans and people who use products, like we're irrational, we're dynamic, our opinions change, our experiences change like almost by the minute. And so something that just captures data in such a slow way without the clear picture uh, is super, super concerning to me. Uh, I, I think a little bit about, um, I think there's this tendency, I want to go back to why people reach for surveys and speed, right? Like, oh, I can get access to a ton of customers really quick. I attribute it back to this sort of core fear that people have interacting with their customers uh, or prospects. I think it's something that even if you're an entrepreneur at season, there is this really difficult challenge of just getting in front of someone that you don't know to talk about topics that are sometimes difficult to discuss or there's unknowns you don't even know exactly what you should be talking about and i, I see surveys as this replacement of oh we can get to everyone quicker it'll be better but it's a fallacy it, it's not better uh, altogether when i think about the difference between interacting with someone face to face even if it's over zoom versus just pulling those individual data points through and through what comes to mind here uh, on these pieces right yeah, I mean, we're talking about these, you know, um, cadence surveys or, or quick surveys here. Do I think you should do MPS? Sure, why not, right? Sure, go ahead and do it. I mean, but so many people rely on this so much. 
I would not rely on MPS for a lot. It's to me, it's just it's just one more data input, but I would not put too much leverage on it. I think I've, we've seen this fail, where you know companies will will do an MPS MPS thing, and okay, and maybe they send it out like every six months, right, or every year. But you should be learning at a much higher cadence than that, right? If you're relying on this, uh, it's it's not it's not unless everything is just five nines. Um, and, and even then, even then we've seen NPS come up a, a very, very short because what's happening is, let's say you're pinging someone every six months or maybe once a year, right? You're not going to, you can't ping them every week or every day, right? So you're going to ping them every, you know, six months. What ends up being is it's very low resolution picture. It's very pixelated, right? So it's like your resolution on that, on their, 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 the pulse of the customer is so, so low. If you're getting a pulse every six months, and the the thing is, is that your survey, that that NPS score, is a data blip. It's not the day to day the day to day actual experience they're having with your product and with and with with your business, right? So we've actually seen NPS be skewed because it's like, well, I've had all these problems with the product, but you know, I really like my account manager. I really like my salesperson. You know, I really like the, the, the relationship that I have with this, with this company or with that, with this person. I don't want to make them look bad. So I'm going to answer four or five or, or, or sorry, seven, right. eight, nine, right. Yeah. And it's this, you're not measuring the experience. You're measuring a relationship, but you don't know that as a product person, right? You don't know the lens they're looking through. And so, these lagging indicators that are not continuous, they're just really low resolution every once in a while. Sure, should you do it? Yeah, sure. But it's not going to tell you very much about what to do. Right. There's so much bias in that, in, in the story that you told. The experience that comes to mind for me, we used to do, uh, at a startup I was at in Denver, we used to do internal NPS scores. And it's so funny looking back on it because they, when they ask you to fill them out, <laughs> they don't just ask, they promote a positive score almost like you know fill out our internal NPS it's one of our key goals like we want to make sure we're doing great for everyone internally and like they're pitching me to be a nine or ten right when it's like wait are you using this to learn where we actually sit or is it a, a kind of a vanity metric that you're going to use externally and certainly it was the latter like it was something that they wanted to tout that man look at our internal progress everyone's so excited and as you said the same thing can happen with customers like, oh, we've been working so closely. We're so excited. Oh, please fill out this NPS. We want to get better. It's like you're telling them to score high, right? <laughs> like you're already in front of them. You don't need a score. Ask them, did we do a good job and talk about it, right? It's going to do a, you're going to learn a lot more than them just filling out a number for you at the end of the day. Yeah. And they might be actually like, maybe you just had a good conversation with them and you, maybe you pitched them on the future of the product Maybe you pitched the vision. Yeah. Maybe they're MPS, like maybe they're like, maybe they're responding based on hope of the future, not actual current experience. Like there's so right. many different lenses people can answering this through and it's, it's just not good data is the point. So Ryan, let's try and flip this to a little bit of like action or takeaways uh, from what we've talked about. We're sort of, I think we're, we're crushing surveys a little bit. It's definitely not a tool we reach for that often, but what would you recommend? And we've, we've alluded to some of this instead of a survey when it relates to product related questions and deciding features, deciding markets, deciding what to prioritize and that sort of thing. What do you reach for? Yeah, I think we talk a lot about understanding your customer at a deep, deep level, having that empathy, um, 
in multiple segments because you probably have multiple segments you're, you're looking at. Um, but just, just understanding your customer. And we think that, you know, putting a, the data layer in between you and your customer is just the wrong abstract. It's just the wrong thing to do. I don't think abstracting people in the data, you know, it doesn't work very well. And so just take that abstraction out is really what we suggest. It's just, it's just you getting closer and you actually, you know, think of that example, Robert, we just had about the, the, the master's students, you know, um, master's degree at, at college. It's like they went and immersed themselves with the students for, for a month. Right. And so we talk a lot about continuous discovery yeah. and, you know, we don't want you to do just a research project for a week and then, and then be done. It's better than nothing, but don't stop there. Continuous yeah. customer interviews is really, really good uh, and important. What I would do, it was first thing to reach for instead of a survey. Um, there are yeah. other, thing, other things, you know, Robert, we, we kind of talked about a little bit um, understanding context when, when a survey might actually be the right thing to pull, pull for. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because uh, I think it'll open up into some of the, the areas where we actually would apply them and, and just some mental models for how we approach these as well. Um, so I'll, I'll open it up with like when to use when I think it's okay. And there's there's sort of there's a couple in here. And there's actually one that I don't even have on this list that I'll bring up. Um, I've seen really good surveys where companies or this happens a lot in content creation as well, where there's an existing audience. And you're trying to get uh, a better understanding of a context you already have, right? And so the the thinking here with having the existing audience is you've already done a lot of the hard work of the why. And what you're doing is you're tuning into the details for yourself. So think about it more as like adding extra information into a really solid foundation of an understanding already. Um, the one example here that I saw, it was a really good one, a podcast I listen to occasionally, My First Million with, with Shane Parr and, or Sam Parr and Shane Curie. Uh, Shane did a survey here around, and it was very, very simple survey, but he actually was just trying to understand the demographics of his audience. He already, and he knows a lot, he interacts with them uh, through Twitter very often, um, and he was just trying to kind of quantify some very specific questions. And so that's another thing that kind of triggers for me where surveys can be applied is, if you've already done the complex, like, you know, complex problems in products, like when you're making these strategic decisions are the big ones. If you've already done the big legwork and you're trying to make smaller product decisions, like this color or that, this button or this, where does it get placed? Like sure, surveys and kind of reactions to that can work because it's, you're already down to something so focused. And that's kind of what I see in the analogy of this, like having an audience version. Um, and then the other one for me is a, a reflective user experience. Kind of the example I brought up where if you have usage data or you have an experience, but there's gaps in understanding why that person did that, what they were trying to do when they were using a certain feature, and if it's small and focused, I think those can be really effective to at least almost uh, illuminate part of the space so that you can go in and explore a bit further. And so they might be able to highlight pain areas or unmet uh, kind of deliverables that you have in your product where you can go and explore. But I, I pull back from being able to make decisions purely off of those, even in an application of a survey in that context. Ryan, you want to talk us a little through like when not to use, we sort of hit this one a little bit, um, but to make it really clear for any of our listeners of like <laughs> when we definitely stay away. Sure. Yeah. Um, before that, I might just add to the when to use piece. Um, a couple of times the surveys have actually been, been helpful has been like Robert mentioned quantifying job to be done or quantifying 
um, how many, right? You already know, but this requires you to already understand and have like a really deep understanding of your customers. And now you're just trying to understand how many of them. But if you, if you don't understand your customers first, guaranteed to fail. Um, I think the yeah, reflection- Because they're not gonna tell you their job to be done, right? Well, like the one survey I even brought up um, with uh, Sean was, he actually lists out the assumed jobs to be done, which has a risk because if there's, again, if there's not one on that list that they attribute to, there could be some bad data in there. But it was a clear representation to me that he already knew the things that his audience wanted. And he was just looking for a sense of priority, right? So he's just actually trying to make a decision of like, if, if I actually go put, you know, a few weeks worth of work into one of these things as an add-on, where might I even start the focus, uh, which I thought was pretty okay. Uh, but he had to have that. He had to have this, like, I think this is what you're, you're actually trying to do. And so he's looking for a bit of validation in that in the way that he ran the survey, which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the, the other, the other one to use is really when, when Roberts has this reflective experience, what we mean by that is like open-ended questions. So there's been times where like, you know, we have a product and there's users flowing through the product and they're just, you know, we, we, we've done maybe like interviews with uh, like a survey, like a, not a survey pool, but a, a pool of people like respondent or like what we call proxy customers, potential customers, but they're actually not using the product. And to get empathy from, from that side has been really great. But when you actually have real customers flowing through, you want to talk to your actual real customers. And sometimes they're not comfortable actually sitting down for a first conversation. Maybe they're, they're just so cold that you, don't have, you really have no relationship with them or they're in or out. I had a situation where I had, you know, I was able to get people coming into the, into the product. The, I had a screen pop up and say, I had a video of myself playing and said, hey, would love to get your insight. Would love to understand why you're here. Tell me your story. Book a book, a book on my calendar and let's chat. So I had a whole bunch of people booking, booking with me, but the problem was they never showed up. <laughs> right? Like they just never showed up. And I did this for two weeks where it looked like I had tons of people to talk to. And there's a, there's a challenge. Well, it's a whole different conversation on how to, how to, how to recruit um, and actually get those meetings. And there's things we can do and there's things we've done uh, successfully. But in this case, I just had a hard time getting people to talk. So the other thing was I had this pop up in the, in the product again with my video, but instead of talk, booking a time with me, Hey, here's just five questions. Can you answer these for me? And they were all open-ended questions, open text box, right? And just tell me about your journey. Tell me about your story. What's resonating with you? What's, you know, uh, why, why, why are you using this product now? What's going on in your life? And that was really, really good, right? So it's, again, it's, you're not trying to put an abstraction of data. Notice the actual difference is I'm actually trying to get closer to the customer with open text box and trying to understand their world. So I think that in, in that um, sense, it works really, really well. And another example of that, Robert, is um, Ariel on our team. Um, you know, she'd done this previously where, you know, she came on as a product manager into a new product and she didn't know up from down, right? It's a new domain. So how do you, how do you quickly absorb a new domain? Um, one way that she did it uh, was actually they'd done a survey, but the key thing was they'd done a couple open-ended questions. So she actually ignored all of the other one to five and categorization questions, threw those out, and that was the right thing to do. And instead, just looked at the open-ended open answers. 
And then when yeah. you actually like, there's, there's really cool things you can do. You can take the open-ended questions, actually put them in a data, in a, in a word cloud, right? And you're like, oh, this is, these are some interesting patterns. It's a quick way. Word clouds are a quick way to do that. But also actually taking those open-ended questions, synthesizing them in, into pattern matching and figuring out like, oh, there are some really key themes here. Um, that won't come out in the word cloud. But I think that's not a way to get empathy and get close, but without trying to put people in the buckets. That's where stuff really breaks down when you try to turn people into, into data. When, when not to use, yeah. anything anything like that? Otherwise, we'll go to one. No, that's great. Use. Yeah. Go for it. Um, yeah. When you're trying to actually learn new things, that's what we call generative research. We're trying to actually learn new things. Don't turn people into data. Don't try to put them in the buckets when you're trying to learn. And, and to be specific, right? this is this is like, hey, I want to go help. We're doing a podcast. I want to go help podcast hosts. If you're just starting and you've never talked, done a podcast or talked uh, talk to anyone who's run a podcast, don't send out a survey to all the podcast hosts saying, Hey, who are you? What's your top priority? Because like you're just gonna get this big bucket of information without any context, um, and so that's more of like an actual example that aligns with this generative. Like when you're almost doing this exploratory, it's a dangerous place to start because if you go down a, the, the initial path of bad data, you're gonna have to work back to kind of a core uh, initial place. Yep. The second one is testing business ideas. We've already talked about this example where like this customer did this big whole circle, you know, based on this, based on this bad data they got from this phone survey. Um, so don't test your business ideas or solution testing or would you, or yeah. feature prioritization. Don't do feature and solution prioritization in a survey. That's a, that's a recipe for, for disaster, right? Like um, you want to understand your customer deeply and you want to create solutions and, and, and then move into behavioral stuff, right? We talk about actual behavior. Will they actually sign up? Will they actually purchase it? That's different than just sending out, hey, which feature do you think we should do? Or, you know, this kind of artificial commitment testing. Yeah. And Robert, you want to do the last one? Yeah. Uh, anything where you don't understand the why. I think this is a good place to kind of close um, with our how we approach it is, for us, the why and human behavior and desires and motivation, it comes from spending time to them or with them, excuse me. Uh, and there's, there's, no, there's no replacement for that. There's no shortcut. Um, surveys aren't gonna get you to that level of understanding. Uh, and think about any relationship you've ever had in your life, like you learn more a lot about what people don't say and what their uh, emotions tell you and not words and certainly not scores that they put into a spreadsheet uh, in a test or quiz format. Uh, and so you gotta understand the why Without the why, you're not going to be armed with the ammunition to wrap the right constraints around a survey to make it meaningful to what you're trying to get after. Wonderful. Robert, awesome. We, uh, we, we did it. 12, 12 months. 12 months. Uh, we're excited for next year about the content. We love the questions that are coming in. I think you know, we're yeah. really looking to continue to grow um, to serve in terms of value of like what, what product teams are struggling with out there and, and the questions help us kind of drive our content in that. So uh, yeah, this was, this was a fun one, uh, kind of uh, the summary of this. It's funny, I think of like the, the anti-session for this is sort of the just get on here and say, don't use surveys and products and then close it out. Kind of the 10 second version of, of today's. <laughs> drop the mic. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> but good chat, uh, appreciate the questions. Thank you, Chris. Uh, and we'll catch you next time on Exploring Product. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year. See you in January.
Thanks for joining us today. We hope this episode gave you some fresh perspectives and even some inspiration to help you on your product journey. You can access notes, links, and resources from this episode at exploringproduct.com. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with us on Twitter so that we can chat about it together. Until next time, keep exploring.